What's up, y'all? Welcome to another edition of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm your host, Jay. Ryan is out for personal matters today, but we're still here with the hot takes, debates, and of course, we're going to show off a true display of basketball knowledge. Today, we're continuing our part two of taking a look at the bottom of the NBA, going to the Western Conference. Last time, we talked about the East, and that was an interesting conversation. We touched on a lot of the different trajectories for those Eastern Conference teams at the bottom. And now we're going over to the Western Conference, which might oddly be a little bit more interesting. I can think of one team in particular that definitely stands out in this group. But we had to bring the guys from All Hustle No Luck back because there's no way in the world we couldn't continue this conversation without getting these guys' thoughts on these teams the same way we got their thoughts on the Eastern Conference. So with that being said, we welcome back Robs and Chris from the All Hustle No Luck podcast. Fellas, how are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm on my Pat Bevin energy today, man. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> <laughs> The Pat Bev energy off rip. All right. I like to see it. I like to see it. There we go, man. Chris, I'm ready to let it loose, man. Everything. Yes, sir. I'm not on no Pat Bev. I don't know. I'm not going to cry after the episode drops, you know? I'm going to wait until I get on like ESPN or something. Oh, man. I don't know. Listen, I've never seen something like that. And I, I understand, like, you know, Minnesota hasn't seen the playoffs since KG. So I get it. But at the same time, fam. You can't cry, bro. Like, it ain't that deep. But, all right, yo, let's let's get it. No, man, I feel you. Playing tournament definitely is in full effect. And, I mean, we're talking about a Minnesota team. Last time they made it was, I think it was like 2015, Jimmy Butler went takeover mode in the game against the Denver Nuggets. It was basically win or go home. This was pre-playing tournament. So, that was mm-hmm. the pretty much the last time we've seen them. And even then, that playoff run didn't go too well. So, I, I maybe he's crying because he sees the inedible. We'll see. What's up with that one? But like I said at the top of the show, pretty much the way we're going to do this is we're going to get into the Western Conference and do things a little bit similar to how we did the East. For people who didn't listen to our Eastern Conference um, breakdowns at the bottom, uh, breakdown of the bottom, we're going to go through the bottom team starting uh, in this in this one. We're going to start at 15 and work our way back up to 11. And that one, we did it in reverse order. And we're pretty much going to focus on like some of the top storylines in relation to that team, as well as try to share a little bit of optimism if it's there, because, of course, some teams make it a little harder than others. If there's optimism, try to show, share some of those optimistic points about those teams as they go into the uh, as they go into the offseason and try to figure out maybe where these teams can right some of the wrongs and where they already have some things to build upon. With that being the case, let's start at the very bottom with the Houston Rockets. So the way I wrote this up is the Rockets are both entertaining and confusing to watch. Feels like a very easy way to open up with this team. Jalen Green had a slow start to the year, but has come on strong as of late. Of course, this was prior to the season ending. Kevin Porter Jr. seems to still be working out the kinks um, in terms of learning the point guard position. They have a promising group with guys like Josh Christopher, Alperin Sangoon, Jay Sean Tate. But Christian Wood and Eric Gordon are still on this roster. John Wall could decline his player option and leave in the summer. But let's be real. He's been about his bag this long. Do we really see him switching the game up now? I'll do it like this. Chris, I'll start with you. What do you believe should be the top priority for the Rockets this summer? Because for me, you look at their circumstances, they have a handful of draft picks they're working with. 
but they also have these veterans that they definitely could prioritize trading. Considering that these guys are owed a pretty decent amount of money, there's a high chance they might have to attach picks to be even be able to get off of them. So that is something worth focusing on. Or in terms of just free agency, they are going to have a decent amount of money to play with, even with these veteran guys on the roster. Do you think they should just lean into trying to get guys that complement a guy like Jalen Green, who obviously is the future of this roster? Yeah, I think that Houston is in the position to where if I was if I was a fan of like a bottom team, I wouldn't necessarily mind being, you know, given the Houston Rockets roster because there are a lot of pieces on that team where you can kind of see something happening there. Jalen Green, I went on our podcast controversially and I said, listen, I can see Jalen Green at one point being a guy averaging 28 a game. I can see that. Like, I'm not going to say that he's going to get it next year, but I can definitely see a jump on a Anthony uh, Edwards type of leap right, where he was kind of struggling with inefficiency in year one, and now we see what he is in year two. I can definitely see that with Jalen Green. So, obviously, you have Green. Kevin Porter Jr., I kind of soured on him. Um, He's not a point guard. I thought that he was going to be able to, you know, kind of get into that, but he's just not a point guard. So, eventually, you're going to have to choose or, you know, I don't see him accepting a bench rule. So what you have to hope is that he just gets good enough to where another team wants to accept him, and then you can turn him into positive value. And that's a win, considering that you you took him for nothing, right? So if you get anything back for him, yeah, he doesn't fit right now, but it could still end up being a win. I'm a big fan of Al- Alfred Sengun, huge fan of that guy. The issues that he's having right now is staying on the court with the fouls in the defense. We've seen the same thing. I'm not going to say he's Jokic. We all hear the comparisons. But that was the same thing with Jokic. He couldn't stay on the court early on. Well, necessarily, he had, you know, Nurk was playing over him at the time. So he was able to kind of do his thing under, you know, undercover more. Um, but he had to kind of, you know, get that defense under control, get the fouling under control as well. And now he can stay on the floor longer. As we can see, he's about to go back to back MVP. So for me, it's like they got pieces. If I was running that team, I would just stay the course. I'm not going out like what the Hornets did and giving a giving a bag to a player like Gordon Hayward for no reason, right? Because I'm not winning anything anyways. I'm okay with staying in the lottery right now as I get talent on my team and as the, as the talent develops, naturally, I would expect that my ranking within the league would also start to develop and I start to creep my way out of that lottery into maybe playing for a plane and things like that with time. So I'm cool. Like if I'm the Rockets, chill out, bro. Like just enjoy the ride. Don't do anything stupid to ruin the trajectory of the team or ruin cap because you're good to need it. You just don't need it right now. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Your relation to the Charlotte Hornets point, I think is actually a really good one when you talk about what they chose to do. And me and Ryan actually talked about this when we did our, uh, our NBA playoffs preview is like when you look at Charlotte, like the worst part about their circumstances focusing on like that Gordon Hayward acquisition, for example, is is that they're they're in no better position this season than they were last year. And we remember Charlotte last in terms of last season getting shellacked by Indiana, right? A team that has literally fallen off the face of the earth, a team that we end up discussing in our first part of this of this two parter um, about teams at the bottom of the conference which just goes to show you how far Indiana has fell and how uh, little 
Charlotte has improved despite making that kind of investment. So, um, Robs, I want to flip it over to you in this sense. Like, if you're if you're the Rockets and you know players like Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, even John Waller, not necessarily impeding your ability to tank for picks or impeding they haven't really impeded the developmental track of some of the guys on the roster, or maybe you feel as though they do. It's up to you to t- decide how you want to go. But like, are you even prioritizing moving these guys in the off season when no, when understanding that there might be potential picks that need to be attached, like future picks and things like that, that might have to be attached for them to get off these guys. Or are you kind of in the camp of Chris where it's like run the course, you have a top five pick, you have the 17th overall pick in this draft. You already have a couple young guys who have played relatively well this season. I think Josh Christopher has probably shown a little bit more than one could have expected in his first season, considering where he was selected. Jalen Green had a slow start, but if you check his stats on a month-to-month basis, he's improved every portion of the season so far this year. Do you even prioritize getting off the veterans and trying to like acquire more draft capital, or do you just kind of let the boat race? I, I agree with Chris. You just let it go. The problem that I have with, with a lot of people is that they look at these young teams and they assume that you have to do something. You don't always have to do something. Right now, I'm looking at their team. And yeah, they got a couple of vets. They got Christian Wood. His contract's not handicapping you. John, is Wall, John Wall's contract was handicapping you, but it's now going to be turning into an expiring contract, mm-hmm. assuming he picks up that player option, right? So if anything, that's an asset. Dennis Shooter, expiring contract, right? Eric Gordon, reasonable contract, may not be living up to it, but it's not handicapping you. Right. So having these guys around, all they can possibly do is, is better your environment, bring up team morale. We know this team or players on this team are already struggling with behavior issues. Hmm. I don't want to bring in a bunch of young guys and create an environment or a culture where anything goes now. You need to still have vets around. And I'm not saying that maybe... Like, I don't want to put it out there that John Wall's the best vet or, you know, Eric Gordon's the best vet because I don't know that. But having them around and it not handicapping you is a bonus. And then on top of that, what are you going to go get? What are you going to go trade and get that's going to help you right now? Those guys aren't exactly world beaters. They're not the guys that are going to move the needle for any other team. John Wall's making 40-something million, and we don't even know if he's going to ever be a top 20-point guard again. Right? So... Even if you get draft capital and on top of that, you still have to go out there and make the selection. So I just think it's more it's more risk than it is reward. Run the course. Let these guys play. Figure out what you have in your young talent. Keep the vets around. If the right trade comes around, oh, obviously pull the trigger. I'm, I'm all for that. But don't hastily make a trade because you feel like you need to do something. You're last in the West. Whatever you do is not going to help you that much. It's not incrementally pulling you up the standings. So play the course. Understand who you have. Get a better understanding of your players and who you think they are, and then move forward. And another point um, about the going back to Chris's point about Kevin Porter Jr. playing point guard. I think this is what young teams need to do, right? I remember I was watching um, Orlando back in the day when they had Oladipo playing point guard. You have to experiment, right? Just because you've got a draft a guy and he's a projected shooting guard doesn't always turn out to be what he is. I remember when Giannis came in, they were talking about he was a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, and now he's a power forward. You have to experiment. You have to be able to see what you're going to get out of these guys. So run the course, let them go out there, try to develop good habits and play basketball. And then once you kind of have an understanding of who's going to be a part of your core moving moving forward, that's when you can start to make 
some trades and dice and move, but not now. It's too early. Makes sense. So, Rob, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, and then, Chris, I have a question for you as well regarding this team before we get into some of, like, the projections in terms of optimism and stuff. So, Rob, what I wanted to ask you is kind of building off the point you were just making about the idea of experimentation with this team. And one of the things that I do think about when I when I focus on that word, experiment, is where Alperin Sengun falls into this falls into this team, right? Where where his role can truly be carved at? Is he a center? Is he a power forward? Can he actually play next to a guy like Christian Wood? So my question to you, specifically around that experimentation th- question, is kind of like. Alperin Sengun is the guy who I would say is a part of this future trajectory based off just based off their draft picks, based off what he's shown um, so far this season, as opposed to a guy like Christian Wood, who this is their first time. This is his first time truly being invested in. And this is the Rockets first time truly investing in somebody in a little while. Probably the last time they really made a real commitment to a guy was when they made the flyer on James Harden, when they made that trade with Oklahoma City. So. You look at those two situations, and I have to wonder, like, do you prioritize experimenting with Alperin Shingun, getting more minutes, seeing more of the floor, but sitting a guy like Christian Wood, who obviously is being paid more money, but you kind of understand who he is. Do you do you experiment with the idea of trying to play those two to get two guys together and trying to almost force it to work? What are your thoughts on that kind of thing? Because I feel like that experimentation is one of those things that's kind of like keeping Steven Silas's job safe is the idea that right now with a young squad like this and no real direction, Silas is has an open canvas to, or a blank canvas, so to speak, to play with in terms of how he wants to manipulate this roster. Right. Like, I feel like we have to get a, a good understanding of what we're actually talking about. As good as Christian Wood may be, he's still on a $13, $14 million contract, and he's alone and big in the league. Right. The day that I start making decisions about how I feel about Christian Wood and how that's going to impact a guy like Al Kroon Sengun is the day that I lose my job as a GM. <laughs> Fair. And, 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 and you, it sounds funny, but you would see it time and time again that a lot of GMs or decision makers in this league they make decisions based on now and not how the future sh- is supposed to play out. Mm. A guy like Amprun Sengun, if he wants to play center, make him play center. If he wants to play power forward like Sabonis, make him play power forward. Experiment, do everything under the sun to where he's finally able to find his niche, mm. and then you expand from there. I, I don't care what Christian Wood does. I, I, I don't care what anybody on that team that's not under the age of 25 cares about how they feel about the role how they feel about how they're being played. They're, it doesn't matter because you're not part of the future. You're not part of the core. And it sounds rough to say because you're like, oh yeah, they went out there and they got Christian Wood. But who is Christian Wood? If that guy's not, if that, if you don't have plans of writing his name down on your all-star ballot in the next three to five years, he's irrelevant. That's how I see it. I think it's a great point. A guy like Alperun Sengun, put him in a position and experiment. Put him at the four, put him at the five. See how he performs in pick and roll defense. Can he play out the high post? Can he really pass? These are the things that you need to find out about your players before you pigeonhole them into this one archetype. And then all of a sudden now he's out of position or he's not able to maximize his full potential. Do whatever he needs to do. Use a coach, probably have a better understanding of who he is as a player than anybody else. Maximize that. Take advantage and move forward. Forget about guys like Christian Wood, Dennis Schroeder, who else is on that team full of Eric Gordon. Those guys are just there to pump you up in the in the locker room. They're, they're not part of the plan. If you don't have an all-star caliber potential in your near future, 
you, you're relevant. That's how I would see it as a Houston GM. I feel like that's a fair point. I think it is something that you really have to focus on. That dichotomy between focusing on the development of Alper and Sengun and boosting up the value of a guy like Christian Wood, you do have to ask yourself which one is your priority. And I think a great point that you make is depending on what choice you make out of that will tell, I guess, Houston fans where you stand on the trajectory of this team. You're focused on the here and now, or you're focused on the projected future. And I think that dichotomy is actually what separates a team like Houston from a team like Oklahoma City, for example, that has already shown us examples that they can acquire a Kimball Walker, but let them go. Acquire an Al Horford, but let them go. And turn water into wine in its own sense that maybe not the players that are converting at this moment, but there are draft picks. There are a prospect, so to speak, that they have live on their roster now that they can actively get a look at and focus on how that will affect them long term. And I think that Houston, if they want to be mentioned in that same category, so to speak, as a one of those next building teams like OKC in the terms of it making sense, not just building for the sake that, they, the sake that they're at the bottom of the, the West all the time, but building in the sense that they're actually headed somewhere, decisions like these are going to determine a lot of our understanding around that so Chris what I wanted to ask you kind of around that building stuff is a conversation that we had on our east conversation around about around those teams was the fit of a guy like Jabari Smith and my question to you is centered around him in the sense that because I know you were a big fan of him but it's less about him and more about like do you think from a projection standpoint He is a good fit for this Houston team. I say that in the sense that one thing that stood out to me with Auburn, and I think we talked about this a little bit, is that one thing that stood out to me with Auburn was between Katie Johnson and Wendell, uh, Wendell, um, they, Wendell Moore, excuse me, they, uh, Wendell Carr, excuse me, yeah, Wendell Moore, excuse me, they, uh, their point guard play overall really hurt their team, but specifically really hurt Jabari Smith, not necessarily from a development standpoint, but in terms of being able to win games, Jabari is still a very raw talent. And so without primary, like legitimate point guard play, he is still a guy who I'm not sure if without that, we can really tap into what his true skill set is. So when you look at that being the case, do you think Houston is even a good fit for a guy like that as a difference maker, or is there somebody else in this draft class that maybe fits a little bit more amongst that top five? Yeah, for, for me, and I completely agree, with the Auburn guards, they put Jabari in a position to where when he did get the ball, it was like, all right, bro, just go ahead and shoot it because God knows when you're getting this ball back, right? And Jabari isn't necessarily the player that has the ability to you know create his own yet that's one thing that he definitely has to get 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 working on he has to be able to create his own but to me i think if i was houston and i get the top pick they should get chet i feel like they should get chet because chet is going to be okay with laying off the ball right he's going to be able to do some pick and roll be a big player down there and get the easy dump offs because when you play with a guy like kpj yeah, they may get assists, but they're only going to give you the ball if they feel like it's leading to that assist. 
they're not going to pass you open and try and create something to where you can create something afterwards, right? They literally just want to give you the ball and you go ahead and lay it up. And that's the only reason or that's the only way I really want to pass you the rock. So for me, Chet would fit better for that team. I feel like if Jabari ended up going there, it's going to take him three, four years for for us to truly see what he can do. Right. So I don't want that for him. I would rather I would rather they, they, they go ahead and get Chet and Chet. You know, we can see it. He's not the biggest guy. But listen, man, at some point, we're going to have to respect respect the numbers. In high school, he was blocking the ball like crazy. In college, I heard the exact same thing. He's too small. He won't be able to do it. He goes and he does it. He blocks like four or five blocks a game. So for me, it's like whether it's it's in girth, pause or length, pause, the job is getting done. That's all I care about. So for me, it's like put him back there and let him clean up some messes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm I don't know. And this is a thing just to pivot over to Alfred Sangoon. A player like that initially, it's hard to play. It's hard to trust as a coach, and I get it because he doesn't fit as a center. He doesn't fit as a power forward. You see him out there. He right now he's not guarding the pick and roll properly. This is a pick and roll league. He's not shooting threes. He's a post-up dominant player. And yeah, he got some good post moves. He'll give you some highlights. But is that efficient offense? You know what I'm saying? Like when they pull up, when your analytics team is in the back pulling up his points per touch, is it efficient? Is he getting that, you know what I'm saying? That one point something point per touch? He may not. But to us, we see the moves and we're like, nah, play the guy. So it's tough. I, I understand that. But you know, for me, I agree with Rob's at the end of the day in saying that when you have players that you can't necessarily see a future for, I feel like the good GMs, the good coaches, the good front offices, put it like that. And we're going to talk about one, even though OKC hasn't been winning anything any since Russell Westbrook and all of those guys left. Even though they haven't been winning, I, I still think they're one of the better front offices because they have a clear direction. And that's the most important thing is the direction. So I'll leave that alone for now. But trust me, like, I feel like, yeah, Jabari Smith, leave him alone because you you're, you're going to spoil him. You don't know what to do with a good thing. <laughs> leave him alone. <laughs> so just as some housekeeping, because there's a million Wendells. I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan, so former Wendell over from there. He's on the Magic now. Window Green was the point guard I was trying to bring up the name for. But, like, that's a, I think that's a great point nonetheless. It's one of those things when you talk about his developmental trajectory, sometimes the thing about drafting is not necessarily drafting a player based off just simply potential, but drafting him based off how that potential can actualize itself and the likelihood that I can do it, that that can happen in your environment. And I think one of the interesting things about you mentioning Chet is we've seen him be a guy that can be extremely effective without the ball. And I'm not even just streak. I'm not even strictly talking about offensively. I'm talking about even defensively being able to just make an impact on that side of the floor, as opposed to being a complete no, no show or somebody that completely is, you know, ineffective unless he is used as a scoring option. And I think that Jabari, I think he has two-way ability, but I think he's a guy that I, to really maximize who Jabari Smith can be, we're going to have to figure out who he is on ball. And I don't know if Houston, with guys like Kevin Porter, with guys like uh, Jalen Green, will be able to allow a guy like Jabari to be that guy or become that guy with those two guys already kind of running the show. Chet is in a different class in that regard. And another thing with Chet that I think is a really great point too is with that defensive acumen that he brings, 
he's no matter what, especially with the two guys we discussed, Alfred Singoon and uh, Christian Wood, he's a guy who I, I hate it from a size standpoint per se, but if you need him to play center defensively behind those two guys, I feel much more confidently with Chet in that regard as opposed to those two guys trying to play next to each other and you're asking Christian Wood to be the, the rim defender, right? Or you're asking Alperin Singoon to be the rim defender. Now, the experimentation, we go back to what we were talking about with, with, with Robs, the experimentation of that is you grab a guy like Chet Holmgren and you see how he plays down low defensively, which is where Houston's biggest holes are, is defensively. Offensively, you know these guys can put the ball in the basket. Defensively is their biggest their biggest flaw overall on their roster. You get a guy like that who, let's not say Chet is going to be Rudy Gobert level impact defensively as an anchor inside from day one, right? But I think he's a guy with that kind of defensive acumen who can have that kind of effect in a smaller dosage early on and sometimes that little implication is enough to kind of help the team defense look better overall considering you look at a team like utah that really doesn't have great team defenders or even individual defenders but rudy gobert's acumen not, is enough to kind of spread all. towards that so you know what i mean shout out don Mitch. yeah you know what i mean so it's, no defense. yeah it's one of those things where i think even when you look at that there is that that chance that capability that check can be that caliber of player even if it is in a watered down environment comparison mm. so i think those are all really great points i just wanted to get your thoughts on that just out of the fact that i think jabari is an interesting prospect but even though he's such a raw talent one still has to ask themselves like but is the, I, you, you hate to play the fit game when you're in the top three, but you still have to make sense when you put when you finally pull that ping pong ball out. You wherever you are located in the draft, you still have to make sense of what you're gonna do with that pick once you once that spot is solidified. Houston does give me cause to pause in terms of what he would be able to do in that kind of environment. So I'm I'm glad that you kind of gave that insight because I think that is an important thing. So, Rob, I'm going to head back over to you. We're going to end out on Houston with the optimism. If there was something that you looked at with this team this season or just something in terms of moving forward, again, they do have two first-round picks this year. Um, what is something that makes you optimistic about this Rockets team with the core that they have or what they're working towards? I'm telling you, these are harder than some math questions. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so when I look at Houston as a whole, they don't have a lot. Right, like uh, we we talked about the talents. Like obviously, you have your Jalen Green, you have Kevin Porter Jr., you have Christian Wood. But when we're talking about comparing that to some of the other talent bases uh, on other teams, it, it doesn't compare. So one thing I do like is that they have a lot of expiring money, they have a lot of assets, and if they're smart, they could do what the Nets did back in the day, where they absorb a lot of bad contracts, get as much draft capital as you can, because you're not winning anything right now. So. Right now, I just like the fact that they made the choice of getting Jalen Green free range to do what he needs to do. And they're experimenting with Sangoon, not as much as I'd want, but they are doing that at the very least. And I know it doesn't sound like much to be optimistic about, but when you're talking about a team that literally finished last in their conference, them just doing those two things right speaks volumes because that tells me that in future, in the future, when you have things coming your way, when you're going to get assets, when good players might want to come certain things that are going to start going your way that you have the competency to act accordingly um 
So yeah, just by not doing too much, they're doing the right thing. Just stay the course, stay solid, and do what you have to do. And if the opportunity comes where you can absorb some bad contracts from other teams, right, however it may come, acquire those draft assets, acquire the capital, do whatever you need to do because you're not winning anything right now. <laughs> Right. You should be in acquiring mode. Acquire all everything bad. Get all the assets you can because you're not winning anything now. And I, I, I firmly believe that Houston has their head on their shoulders pretty right. So, um, yeah, I like I like how they performed this last season. I like how they're handling the business of the team. And just stay the course. Next couple of years, if you done if you do things right, you should reap your uh, the benefits of your work. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. They're doing things right over there. Chris, how about you, man? Is there anything that like makes you feel optimistic about this Houston team? Because again, they're kind of playing with house money. And I think the West teams, they're really interesting towards the bottom because these are a few teams. We're going to talk about a handful of teams that are walking around with a good amount of draft picks, not just in the 2022 draft coming up, but moving forward. Houston is definitely one of them, especially with the way that this season played out. Two picks basically in the first uh, 20 picks of the 2022 draft. And they've got some guys who have already been playing relatively well. So what's some stuff that makes you feel good? If you had to give Houston fans something to feel good about heading into next season or even heading in just to just into this offseason, what would that what would that look like? What would that be? Honestly, it's gonna it's it's Jalen Green. Can Jalen Green become, you know, a Zach Levine type of impact player or he probably won't even be the defender that Zach Levine is, but like <laughs> it's Jalen Green or bust for you at this present time, depending on what you do. But you, you know, you got to hope that you can, again, that's why you have to get the picks. You need shots at the apple, right? You don't have it yet. Like right now, it's just all about getting more tries at it. So, you know, and again, like I'm not even the biggest of the Jalen Green fans when it comes to the, the rookies that we have, because, golly like what kind of rookie class do we have here like i'm extremely extremely you know i'm looking forward to this rookie class right now i have high hopes for them but you know personally they should have drafted mobley in my opinion you went and drafted Jalen green and Jalen green looks like he's going to be an okay player if his second half turns out to be what he can be so i would say i have modest you know expectations or or modest um type of you know optimism optimism for this club only because I can see where it can go bad. Right. I can definitely see where it can go bad. And it's it, it's if they say, oh, you know, maybe they have a good year next year. And now all of a sudden, oh, we're going to make a leap. Mm. And now we start selling off assets when we really should be in the business of continuing to accumulate assets. Right. So I'm going to say if I had to rate it on a, you know, a one to ten scale, I'm going to honestly say three. Um, only because, like, I don't necessarily see Jalen Green as a winning player right now. Mm. You know, his defense is one of the worst in the league, and I don't see how it gets better. KPJ right now is one of those players where you can't talk to him. I don't, see, I don't see them being able to say, you know, we're going to bring you off the bench because it fits better for our roster. I don't see that. I see, a, I see it's either you let him leave him to his own devices or you're going to get an explosion. Hmm. So that's a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. Offering Sangoon, I'm a big fan of that. Again, I already said, you know, the, the issues that I would have with trying to figure him out. Christian Wood, do you play him? Do you not? He's not good enough. We saw last year they tried to trade him. He was on the market. 
the only thing I heard back coming from was Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Like, I don't, I didn't hear anything else. There's a reason why he's still in Houston, right? So it's like, yeah, the roster has some talent on it, but they do have work to do. And you just have to hope that they're able to remain patient. Hmm. So let me ask you this question real quick before we move off Houston, because I want to ask you this only because of a point you just made about Jalen Green. I've, I've been wondering this for a little while. I mentioned it in passing on our episode previewing the playoffs. And I, I want to get I'm, I might actually want to just get both of you guys' thoughts on this, just because I think it's an interesting thought ex- exercise when talking about the bottom of either conference, really. So, Chris, I'll start with you on this. My question is, how long do you give? a top pick with immense potential and initial displayed talent in terms of the leash that you put on them, right? How long, how long do you kind of let them kind of mosey along and learn before you really put pressure on that, on that player to elevate themselves beyond what is kind of been displayed in front of us. And so the, the reason why I asked this question this way is because you said you're worried about whether or not Jalen Green is and can develop into a winning player. And oddly enough, I feel very similarly about LaMelo Ball for Charlotte. And I was a huge LaMelo Ball fan coming out of the draft, but my worries, especially when you look at this season and last season, I would argue this season, right, Miles Bridges was on a MIP level trajectory at the beginning of the season. Obviously things dipped off a bit, but I would say at the end of the day, this was a guy who took a significant leap. You get a guy like Gordon Hayward, granted he has not played very much for you, but I would argue what's very much new about that. Um, either this season or last season, there's not too much that's new about that. But I would also say Terry Rozier has played relatively well. You have a guy like Kelly Oubre, who I think has given them a bit of a boost. I still think they're a little soft in the middle in terms of you talking about the center position, which is still their toughest spot. And I wish they would have addressed that last offseason when they had the firepower to do so. But even with all of the moves that they made and the internal development, here we are in the 10th seed in the play-in tournament with one game or I'm going home. Not even two shots like Cleveland has, for example. Another winner-go-home scenario, one game. And I'm looking at looking at them, and I'm I'm fearful fear, fearful for them because you just got blown out by Indiana last year, and let's be real, I think Atlanta is better than last year's Indiana team, even if Atlanta hasn't necessarily shown it this year. So that goes to make me feel as though there was no progression from a team standpoint from last year to this year. And I think LaMelo Ball, not only as the point guard, but as the face of the franchise, having this team, again, he's still relatively, like, you know, relatively new to the NBA, and he is still kind of fresh behind, like, what behind the ears in terms of being fresh to this new environment. But this is two years in a row in which it seems like we're on the same hamster wheel with Charlotte with no real direction as to how to get better outside of him becoming a winning player like you mentioned before so bringing this all back in terms of being able to ask an informative question like how much freedom do you give a player that we start out after once after they're drafted as high potential great all-star caliber kind of player how much of a leash do you give them how much freedom do you give them even 
before you start to put the pressure on them and really start to ask yourself, is this a guy that can make that can help my team win down the line? I think it depends. And I think with each situation, you have to look at it for what the situation is. So, for example, LaMelo Ball. I'm a huge LaMelo Ball fan. Rob's can tell you that already. Like, I thought he should have went number one. I was on his bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I continue to drive his bandwagon. I said that I was all for him being an all-star this year until I decided to go for Freddie instead. But mm-hmm. basically, I see him as an all-star player, right? When it, when it comes to LaMelo Ball, this is when I say, like, you have to be in Harmison with the decision makers and knowing what the player is. Because I would throw some bail to LaMelo, and I would say, okay, LaMelo, has LaMelo underperformed in what we expected him, expected from him when he came in? Nobody thought he was going to be able to score the amount of points that he would be scoring with the type of efficiency that he has, right? People said he can't shoot. It looks like he can shoot. He's a great passer. That proved out to be the case, right? He's not the best defender in any stretch, but he's active. He gets steals and he gets blocks. So what I would say is, okay, where is the defenders on that team? It's not the big men. It's not the wing. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. That's how you solve the team. (laughs) Like, you can't have a team full of offensive players that aren't Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, yeah, the Nets could do that. The Nets can do it because you have KD and you have Kyrie. Mm -hmm. But Charlotte, you can't do that because you don't have that that level of offensive talent, right? So for me, it's like, nah, I, when I, going back over to Jalen Green, if Jalen Green is able to show me things that I see in LaMelo, where I can look at him and say, yeah, I'm not saying that he's a top 10 stamp it guard at his position. I'm not saying that. But no one's going to say he's not talented. Mm-hmm. No one's going to say he's underperforming. No one's going to say that he's not a player that is showing things and or that uh, he's not a player where you can say, yeah, I would want to start a franchise with him. No one's saying those things. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I'm going to give Jalen Green, if I was thinking, I would give him about a two, three-year window for him to show me something. Mm-hmm. He would have to show me something. Now, as I just said, he started the year garbage. Since he came back, and this was my bail I was giving Jalen Green, since he came back from the thigh injury in December, he's been steady. He's been dropping buckets. He's been shooting the ball better. And as the the year progressed, it went from 19 a game. He was hovering around 25 a game. He closed the year with 30 a game in the last two weeks, Mm. right? So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm only, you know, he has to be 30 a game next year or else. Now, nah, all I'm saying is show me incremental progression, right? We already know you can score, so that's good. <laughs> now you need to show me that you can pass the ball because the passing mm. isn't good. Right. Now you need to show me you can defend. If you can't defend, what can you do? Are you a complete liability? Go get active. Go make something happen. Get some steals. Get some deflections. You know, th- like that's what I want to see out of him, and that's that's what I feel like all GMs should be looking at when it comes to their young players. Is like if you feel this guy has promise, he, he needs to take strides in not only the areas where you're good at. Mm. It has to be a you know an all encompassing 
type of development where we can point to different things year by year where we're saying, yeah, he's becoming a better player. And so, Rob, I'm going to go to you on this one. And again, we're, we're, I know we're sticking on the Rockets a little long, but I think this is this question specifically is more so something that I think encapsulates a lot of what other teams in this area, these bottom of the conference um, teams are all kind of having to look at is this, if I'm going to draft a guy in the top five, how much freedom do you give him before you tell yourself and you tell him to a certain extent, like, yo, we need to go from bucket chasing to really being a connector, a, a force multiplier, if you will, as a effective teammate on this squad. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on it too, Rob's of like this idea of how much of a, how much freedom do you give a top pick to just be figuring it out? before you kind of go to him and say, my guy, I love the highlight plays. I love the ESPN top 10s. I, I love that you're getting 30 a night. I love to see the individual growth as a score, something that, of course, gets everybody paid, right? But in order for this team to take the leap, if you're really about winning, in order for this team to take the leap, there are other things that have to happen. And if you are not able to make that developmental choice, our developmental staff can only help you but so much in terms of making that decision as well. There comes a point where you don't have to be a bust for us to understand that we need to make a make a pivot into a different direction. So what are your thoughts? So I, 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 I'm a firm believer that money talks, right? So it you're going to give them the rookie contract for the most part, right? Whether that's two or three years where you can properly evaluate them and say, hey, I'm grouping you into this category of player, this caliber of player. And then now when the money starts to get brought up, now I have to really start assessing your game to determine what I'm willing to pay you. But even before we get to that, what I've been noticing in the NBA is there's a trend is that there a lot of these guys will go top five, top 10. They'll say, oh, he's a franchise guy. And then next year you're in a lottery again. And then the new franchise guy comes in. Right. Same thing happened with Colin Sexton. Guys are coming in. Colin Sexton's great. Blah, blah, blah. Boom. Darius Garland came in. Those those talks are dead, right? And then on the opposite end, you have guys like Jalen Brown, where you have to wait till the very last end until you're willing to pay him, and boom, he explodes. So that's all to say that it's when the money has to get brought up, right? I'm going to give you free range for the first two, three years, but when you start getting in the conversation of, oh, I want 100 and plus million or 150 million, your counterparts are getting these big dollar amounts and they're producing at a higher level or they're impacting winner winning at a different level than you are. This is when I need to bring the conversation to you and say, Hey, this is where we project you to be. Here's where you are. This is the number you want. This is what we need from you. And this is the conversation that I think happens a lot in the NBA. I think it's happening right now with Aiden. And I think it's happened a lot, a lot of times with these rookies that are seeking these max extensions, but don't have nothing to show for it. Relating it back to a guy like Jalen Green, you're going to get free reign, right? Because as far as I understand, anybody they bring in, it's going to be there to gel with you for the foreseeable future. But two years time, you may not have that free reign. And then that point is when you have to kind of make a decision to say, hey, I need to step my game up if I want this bag. Because I'm telling you right now, GMs in this league are very smart. I know sometimes we like to trivialize how smart they are and how much intelligence and how much they know the game of basketball and finance but they're not stupid. They're not going to give out a bag to a guy that has nothing to prove for it, and they're going to try to lowball you. And if you beat the market, you'll go restricted free agency, and the market will pay you what you deserve. But DMs are hesitant to do that off their own will. So I firmly believe it's until the money has to get brought up. 
you're good until we think you're good. And then when it's time for the money to get bought up and they hear 150 M's on the table, that's when I'm going to have to pull you aside and say, I need X, Y, and Z. And if that's not the guy, then, hey, we've seen situations where players get disgruntled, sign and trade. They may not get the bag that they want, whatever it may be, but that's what it's going to have to come to. In my opinion, that's the way I see it. No, I feel you because I do think that that's an important thing, and especially when you talk about these top picks. They're getting paid a lot initially, and granted, for some of these teams, that cap space stuff is not too big of a deal when we talk about these bottom-of-the-barrel right. teams. But there are some teams that have some hefty contracts on their rosters, and these guys are taking up a little bit of that money. And granted, the hefty contracts, those are the ones we know those GMs are going to focus on moving on from. But you also have to understand whether or not the player you just drafted is worth doing all of that reconstruction for. Those are the big questions that you have to ask yourself. Like I said, I feel like this is a question that obviously goes a little bit bigger than just Houston. Um, And I think that's why it's good to have it early in this conversation because there are a couple of other teams that we do have to ask ourselves. This is a great example. We're about to move on to Oklahoma City. Um, who's another team that kind of has to ask themselves in a similar situation. I'll get to that in a second. But the way I frame this is OKC might not win a lot of games, but you can't say they're not Mm -hmm. a scrappy team. They have real building blocks across the board with SGA, Josh Giddy, Trey Mann has played really well. Lugans Dort, when he's on Mm -hmm. the floor, is really good. And I think they have some other interesting players that have shown flashes. This is a team that has three picks in the upcoming draft with two of them in the top 15 alone. And depending on how the right. ping pong balls fall, that could be something where they could have two just in the lottery by itself. My thing is, though, and Rob, I'll actually start with you on this one. Mm-hmm. How many seasons do you think the Thunder can realistically tank before Sam Presti will be under pressure to produce a playoff caliber roster? And I'm going to kind of add something on to this by saying, Should there be any pressure at all to use their gazillion picks to make runs at potential superstars considering, okay, in recent memory, we just watched the Celtics blow hoarding pick after pick that was rumored to be flipped for Paul George, flipped for Jimmy Butler, flipped for Kawhi Leonard, and never actualized itself. We just watched that, right? And don't get me wrong, Boston is now the second seed in the Eastern Conference, As far as we're concerned, maybe they never needed it. But I'm just saying to say that over the course of that time, they've also gotten rid of a handful of guys that were actively chosen with those draft picks, guys that were drafted with those those picks that have not seen playing time since being acquired, right? So does there come a point where all those draft picks need to be moved in the middle of the table to make a play? Or with the fact that, you know, Sam Presti, by far, outside of maybe you guys' Toronto Raptors, have the best developmental uh, staff in terms of not just drafting but actually developing guys, do you just let Sam make the picks? Um, First, shout out out our GM, best GM in the league. Facts. Um, Aside from that, no, it's a bit of a catch-22 because on one end, I I firmly believe that Sam Presti's development of equity in the organization where he's going to do what he wants. It doesn't really matter what anybody says. He's shown a track record of being able to make the right decision. So I think he's going to have free reign there. However, my personal opinion is that at some point, OKC has to turn over the leaf. <laughs> like teams want to, you, there's a natural, there's a natural cycle in the NBA, right? You're good. Well, for most teams, you're good. You're bad. You acquire assets. You become halfway decent. You're either bad again or you're good again. You don't want to be stuck in this perpetual cycle of, rinse and repeating players drafting and rinse and repeating because again 
you don't know who these guys are if you're not ever going to give them a full chance to say, okay, build a core, put assets around them, and go for a run. I feel like right now, OKC is entering that territory where they're just worried about the next guy and not too concerned about who they have. You have guys like Shea. Shea's, Shea's a bona fide... Let me be careful. <laughs> Show, mm, SGA is a great player in this league, right? Lucan's doors, as you said, can play. They have a couple pieces there. They have picks coming out the wazoo. When are you going to turn the leaf? When are you going to start putting players together and, and, and saying, okay, let's go for a little run? I just seen a deadbeat Pelicans team <laughs> make the play-in. Right. And you're sitting in the 14th seed, and I firmly believe that you have the best player in that series mm. if you go in with Shade. So, like, I think you need to good. I think they're going to come to a point where they have to make a decision. Is this the core that we're going to try and put pieces around? And try to acquire players and move forward? Or are we just going to keep rinsing and repeating? Because to me, they're not getting anywhere. And they're just wasting Shea's career right now at this point. Right? Well, maybe it's a little premature to say that. But that's the trend that, that seems no, like it's we'll, going on right We'll now. definitely talk about that in a second. Because I definitely have a question about that. Chris, I want to just get mm-hmm. your thoughts on the whole picks thing. In terms of like Sam Presti's timetable moving forward. Because, you know, we saw another Sam get, get the boot for this exact strategy, right? Sam Inge kind of invented the tankathon um strategy and scary enough, man, whether people believe it or not, it was kind of an inadvertently working and it was cut short, but it's a hard thing to get behind. It's a hard thing and it's even harder in Philly, which I think is an important thing to factor in, but this is Oklahoma City we are talking about. Now, no, Chris, don't get me wrong. No, I'm not justifying it. I'm just kind of laying the like, laying the framework. No, for no, it. no. You you, str- you struck a nerve because I'm a Philly fan. Ah, that's tough. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Then. We'll talk about that in a second then because listen, I think that's listen, important. Sam Hinkie. Like, that's the thing. Sam Hinkie kind of invented this plan, and I think Sam Presti is reinventing it with the actual backing from management that is allowing him to go about this process. So, Okay, I'm glad that now I have the context. So let's add that context in. From your perspective, do you think that this is actually a sustainable plan? I think it's definitely a sustainable plan. And just let me say this off top. The fact that they they forcibly removed Sam Henke from his job, but yet they're allowing OKC to do this, the exact same thing, it makes no sense to me. Because you, you told Sam Hinkie to get out. You brought in your guy because he was some type of Team USA something. And then he ends up, trades a whole bunch of foolishness, and now I have to buy his Harris on my team. <laughs> like, it's just stupidness. Like, these are the type of things where I'm talking about when you don't have a plan and you do things haphazard. And But whatever. Anyways, back to OKC, right? The thing that we saw in Philadelphia is why I would say that people... You can't have it both ways. If you're going to praise them for collecting the draft picks, you also have to sit there and allow them to play it out. You have to allow them to select. Now, when you look at what Sam Hinkie did, he didn't hit on every pick. That's not the point, though. The point is, again, once you hit the button two so much times at the lotto, eventually Mm -hmm. someone is going to walk up to the lotto machine and money is going to fall out. Right. Sometimes you're going to hit it, you're going to get uh, Okafor. You're going to hit it again. You're going to get Nerlens Noel. You're going to hit it again, though? 
you know what you end up? Oh, Joel Embiid wouldn't have fallen to us if it wasn't for the back injury? Well, that's why we have the picks. <laughs> because at some point, things are going to fall your way. At some point, you're going to lose the lottery. You're going to miss out on Jabari Parker. You're going to miss out on Andrew Wiggins. And only look, look what we have. An all-star Hall of Fame player landing in our lap at three. That's all OKC has to do. At some point, it will come to fruition. At some point. They have too much picks for it not to work. Can a small market team survive doing that, though? They've been surviving. We're talking about two years removed from a playoff season. Like, I'm talking right now, the way you're making it sound like five years goes by and we're chilling. Take it in. Right. And this is why I'm saying that you have to understand what you're dealing with. This is why I'm saying that fans have to understand what they're in for. Mm -hmm. Back when Philly was bad, when us as Philly fans were bad, we completely Joel Embiid didn't just come up with the with the process out of the thin air because he's Einstein or something. The fans were committed. The fans were committed, and he was hearing so, that we will be trusting the process. But Chris, I'll ask you this question though, because this this is this is the only thing, and maybe this this will actually coincide maybe with SGA a little bit as a guy who has performed relatively well, but I think is a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of this team's trajectory as a player that can be a legit contributor on a playoff team today, today, right? As opposed to maybe being, quote-unquote, the building block of a team that's primarily guys 22 and younger, right? Shea's on a little bit of a different trajectory than that. I wouldn't say significantly, but enough. This is the same Philly team, for example, right, that didn't you guys have Michael Carter-Williams who won Rookie of the Year and they still yeah, moved played. off of him? Because he was shit. We all knew that. No way. Like, Don't do... No, listen. no, no. Did you? We didn't know that at the no, time. No, Yes, we did. You knew yes, that the did. Rookie of the Year was garbage no. at the time. What? He didn't get traded after year one. Did he get so traded after about? year one? But no. you kept tanking after year one. No. So what? <laughs> All right, man. Okay, but okay, so, but I'll give you okay, but then okay, we follow up with another franchise who has made a similar mistake, the Sacramento Kings. You played Tyreek Evans at point guard his rookie year, snaps at point guard. Now I will admit this was more of a functionality thing in terms of now trying to move him to shooting guard, and then somehow he started playing small forward. So I will I will admit <laughs> there's a functionality issue with that. But you single-handedly kind of wasted a guy who, based on his first season, was on a very strong trajectory based off of experimentation and kind of over-committing to trying to like versa, versa, like create this unknown versatility within your roster. And I kind of look at it in the sense of with the draft picks, there comes a point where you get too many guys, you start doing too much, and then you're still left trying to figure out who actually is a core member, right? And so I, I do wonder if, yes, those lotto hits add up and eventually you come due, but there's also a lot of stuff in the midst of that, a lot of problems that are developed in the midst of that that I still think need to be solved and kind of become a little bit difficult to handle with the longer the process, so to speak, continue so like what is your thoughts on that because i do think there comes a point where yes as a fan you're in for the ride gotcha but how long does that ride go before you kind of realize like yo we got to pick a direction soon like where you stand on that 
here's what I'll say, right? And just going off of Michael Carter Williams, I don't think anybody at the time, he had a great rookie season, right? I'm not saying that he didn't have a great rookie season. But at the same time, it's not as if at the time, because I vividly remember when we traded him, nobody was like, oh my gosh, Michael Carter Williams is gone. He went over to the Bucks, and it's not like he flamed out right after that. And you know why? It's because the atmosphere that we were having at Philly at the time allowed him to do whatever he wanted. It literally, like, it showed him as a player that he necessarily wasn't because there was no structure back then. Back then, we were running with Rob Covington straight out of the D-League. Jeremy Grant straight out of the D-League. Like, these are players that he was, that was his teammates. Tony Roten, where is that guy? Like, that was the roster. Triple-double legend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that was the That's roster. So, so for me, it's like Michael Carly Williams had three or two good years for us right but at the same time it's like no like no so like for me how many is too much it's never too much because here's the thing can you ever have too much money no because what what's going to end up happening you're going to find use for the money even if it's not just sitting in your account you're going to find use for it you're going to be able to use for example you think houston wouldn't want if Houston actually had a, an opportunity to get better this year, you think they wouldn't want a couple of extra picks that they can just throw some protections on and get John Wall to fuck out? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. If they truly wanted to trade Chris, Christian Wood, wouldn't they want an additional pick somewhere where they can just attach it with some pro- protections, make it lottery protected, give them a fake first that turns into a couple of seconds, <laughs> get the fuck out? <laughs> like These are things that they will always be able to do. That's a good point. Always. They have so much. And what I'm saying is you don't have to be the one to draft these players. If Shea's 23 years old, say they get into the lottery this year, they pick up, I don't know, um, my man off of Duke. They pick him up. Now you have those three. And maybe Giddy makes a huge leap, Mm -hmm. right? Now you have three players. Say those three players gel in about a year or so. Shea turns 25, Giddy's 23, and Boncaro's 22. Right, mm-hmm. and you can actually see something. They're starting to make whatever, and now you want to go and try and make a play to get somebody on your team that can help you. Mm. Okay, we at that point we still got twelve first round picks. How about we send two out and get a player back in? <laughs> like you will always be able to use these things. It's never a bad thing to hoard something that is good. You won't find anybody saying, "Wow, you're hoarding something valuable. What's wrong with you?" It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but isn't there a difference between hoarding and using? Like, at what point are you going to use them? I think that's the conversation Damn, we're having. No, but what I'm They've saying hoarded to enough, is, no, no bro. You, and this is what I'm trying to tell you. Like, you you can't praise them for getting the picks and then put pressure telling them to use it. That's how you make mistakes. That's how mistakes are made. If they feel like they are going to be, if they I feel like they've feel identified, them. If they feel like they've identified a reason to get some picks out of the door, sure. But I'm not just going to just use picks so people feel like I'm doing something with the picks. What was the point of me getting them then? These picks are from like 2024, 2025, 2027. These are the picks that they have. I don't I, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. Anyways. But what I I'm saying I don't disagree with you, Chris. But so. take this in, right? If these picks are years in the future, right? Mhm. What would you want them to do? Trade for what? You just told me that a team like Houston shouldn't be making any trades right now. So why the fuck is OKC making a trade? 
<laughs> well, it's different sense. though because the level. The, the point I'm trying to make about OKC is that they've acquired a level, like a certain number of assets, to the point where now it's almost like it's overkill, right? And how many, how many bad oh. seasons are you going to have to go through before oh. you realize that you need to start executing on some of these picks? We are. Executing. That's all I'm saying. We are executing. Is Josh Giddy not a good player? Okay, but that, that's already in their basket. That's, that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what we just used the pick to get him. So we, we're well, what I'm saying picks. is they have their picks set, right? But if you're telling me that right now that they should still be doing what they've been doing for the past two years and keep acquiring more assets or draft Taking capital, it. it's not it. helping them. No, no. But you know why they keep acquiring draft capital? Because they're taking on, they have the cap space and they're taking on contracts like Al Horford. And wow, somebody called my phone. Can I have Al Horford for, and I'll give you a first round pick? Sure. Why fuck? Why not? So, but again, <laughs> oh, at what point do you turn oh, the I, leaf? I have, I have Danny Green. You want Danny Green? You're gonna give me a first? Sure, I get that. I'll take I get Danny that. Green for a first. At what point do you oh, turn Kemba the leaf? Walk- hey, my fault. Kemba Walker, you're gonna give me Kemba Walker for a first? Sure, I'll take Kemba Walker for a first. What are we talking about? But at what point Dennis do you turn Schroeder? the leaf? You're gonna, give you're me gonna a do first that forever, for Dennis Schroeder? Yes, I will always All do right. that. That's and that's where we differ. And that's where we differ. Bro, I can't. Are these players doing any? What was Al, what was Al Horford doing? What was Al Horford doing for that team? Nothing. All right. So I, so I take a first for Al Horford, and now I'm being criticized. Why I'm not that? denying what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but I'm saying at what point do you realize that you have to turn the leaf? How many losing seasons are you going to have before you start using the picks and building I, a core if roster? I, if I keep getting 30-plus-year-old 30 30 players <laughs> and I can turn them into first-round picks, you bet your ass I will do it every single time. <laughs> so this is the only portion why I will interject, and it's only because of this point. The only thing that I do worry about is there comes a point where these lottery picks are due for bread, right? There is a point where these guys, for example, if I'm OKC, you can't get to Josh Giddy's rookie extension after already giving SGA his max, max extension, I think it was last season or last summer. You can't get to, for example, Josh Giddy's rookie extend max rookie extension year and you're still trying to figure out who your top five guys are for example that would maybe exactly. I, I do so that would be my only argument now granted that's still four more years granted or at three uh because this season is the first of four but nonetheless i still I would think that. that would be the cap out though for like me personally i don't know if sam Presti's job is on the line right our initial question was like how much of a leash do you give sam Presti? i don't know if that means his job is on the line but i do wonder how long can you kind of keep the plan of like staying the course in terms of like acquiring these draft assets while still having to pay guys rookie extensions that are not going to be light numbers even with the the cap space going up every other season or so oh your mic's out bro you're muted no looking like we lost chris on the audio no 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 i'm back yeah you good you're good you're good you're all good you're all solid all right all right so what i would (laughs) say to that is number one we're assuming that Josh Giddy is worth a max contract. If Josh okay, Giddy is worth a max point. contract, I'm I'm happy. Okay. That's number one. Number two is, if that is the case, right, and we do have to end up say like a Denver two years ago when they had Jamal Murray that they had to pay, Michael Porter Jr. that they had to pay. So okay, we have to get up of Michael Beasley. Okay, like 
they were able to parlay Michael Beasley into draft capital. And this is what I'm saying. It's like, when you have things that are valuable, you can always make something work to where there's a compromise that can be made, mm-hmm. right? And and that's how I see it. So if five, four years from now, Josh Giddy is worth a hundred and whatever million dollars by that time when the cap goes up, that's, to me, that's what I want. <laughs> like, I want those problems. Because if he's not worth a max contract, he's that means he's not a max type player. And that means that this is a player where maybe I shouldn't be investing into so heavily. Now let me use a draft pick to see if I can get something better, a la Sexton turning into Garland. And now Garland should be getting his max contract. That That's the type of thing I'm talking about. But are you okay losing in the process? Because Denver wasn't losing when they were, had but, those decisions but, 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 to make. I know, but what I'm saying, Robs, is the thing is why I went back to what the fan base and why I equated back to Philly is that if the outside pressures, the powers that be, aren't putting the pressure on you, what they did to Sam Henke to turn it around, OKC's fan base, if they're, they, they are the only ones where you have to be concerned about. If your fan base isn't causing an uproar, ready to storm the stadium, like what they're trying to do over in LA, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like LA, you have to know LA, they're not going for this. Right. Right? They're not going for this. Toronto, we're really not about that either. We say we're we're trying to restart in whatever the case is, but we put pride in winning. Right. We put pride in being a in being this type of franchise, right? You have teams like Sacramento that we're going to end up talking about. They have no choice but to <laughs> just. You think Sacramento wouldn't want to be OKC right now? Uh, that's, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. You see what I'm saying? So it's like it's all about what the fan base is is willing to accept, and mm. from what I see. OKC is willing to take this route because they have trust in we have one of the best executives right. in the entire league. He's done it already in the past. Let's see if he can do it again. What's wrong with that? I don't know. I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point in terms of like really the way you break down a question like how long or is it okay or how do you address in this in this framework of what to do with draft picks like you say is about your fan base's patience. And I think a great way that you put it is going back to like the teams that you compared, for example, Sacramento, for example, Sacramento fans, if you say we're going to go the patient route, they don't have a choice considering their current climate, a team like Toronto, or I think a team that's a little bit more viable, like in this kind of conversation is a team like that Philly team we discussed earlier, where it's like the climate for that, though, like, granted, was it working? Yes. But is the climate for that? Were, are people, were people as committed to that ideology as one would hope when going through that? I would argue that I think in that Philly situation, especially considering that Hinky lost his job, I would argue that they were split, and I don't think you can have a split ideal when going this kind of route, because there are jobs on the line. When you talk about executives who are making those picks, there are players whose careers and trajectory of their careers are affected by being a part of that, that, that trope, that trope of wanting to trust the process. So I think you have to have a, a, uh, we are all stepping in the same direction viewpoint. If you are going to address things this way. And I think to Chris's point, Oklahoma city is in that, that frame of mind is that everybody is lockstep in the right direction in the and same direction. Say this, I'll say. Let me just say this real quick okay. before we move on yeah, sure. in terms of Michael, Michael Carter Williams, 
Sam Hinkie traded Michael Carter Williams, and then three years later, we ended up with the number ten overall pick and drafted Mikael Bridges. Right? I hate when people Me, do this. No, man. no, 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 no. Oh this is what my I'm talking gosh. about. And then you know what <laughs> and happened? Michael Jordan got traded, and that no, pick turned into no, Kyrie Irving. What are we no. talking about? <laughs> well, 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 that was a crazy uh, thing too. But what I'm saying oh, is, man. we treated a guy like Michael Carter Williams, and we ended up with Mike Mikael Bridges. Now that was off of the strength. That was off of the strength of Sam Hinkie. You know what the new, the new GM did? He trades, he trades Bridges. For Zaire Smith. True. No one knows who that guy is. True. Now, I remember me and Rob's were at a Jack Astor's. I don't know if you guys have that out in, in the States. When we drafted Mikhail Bridges, I was saying, let's go. If we weren't going to, we could have drafted MPJ. But, you know, I was like, all right, cool. We're trying to win now. I like Mikhail Bridges. He shoots. Defender. He may win Defensive Player of the Year this year. Right. That was off the strength of trading uh, Michael Carter-Williams. Right? So, it's like, listen, man. You got to see how these things play out. That's, that's not a linear relationship. It's not linear, Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You trade that guy. You got four bites me. at the apple, and then you're we end me. up with Mikhail Bridges. It's, <laughs> like, it's not that's not linear, bro. About. I traded for a cheese sandwich, and then he came back and he gave me a million dollars for this player. That No, man. It's not linear. <laughs> it definitely on, is. Bro, so what was a, what, what is the point of, of trading for draft picks, then, if, if it's not linear? Well, what I'm saying is you could trade for a draft pick and who you draft. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a linear relationship, but who you draft okay. and then trade and then trade and then trade. That, it's too far removed. It's degrees of separation. No, I'm man. just saying the player that got drafted with the 10th overall. Fact, if you want to talk about the end product, I hear you. But don't talk about like it's got, one for one. No, no, man. no. That's not the what it is. The player that we got with that pick was Mikhail Bridges, possible defensive player of the year from the guard position. Hasn't missed a game his entire career. So please, Mikhail. I don't want to hear about Michael Carter Williams. Okay, so I, I want to talk to you guys because we're going to transfer over to the Sacramento Kings. And I think you guys talking about the the nonlinear trade path being an interesting conversation actually with this team. So I think this is a, actually a great way to pick up. So the way that I, I, I frame this is the Kings made probably the most head-scratching trade at the deadline, probably like in general, I don't even think this is like this season. I think probably within the last three to five seasons, this is probably the oddest trade deadline acquisition slash transaction that has been made by any team in the league when they chose to send Tyrese Halliburton to Indiana in exchange for DeMontis Sabonis. They also caved on former uh, top three overall pick Marvin Bagley, who they sent to Detroit. One can ask themselves about whether or not that was more of Detroit, I mean, more of Marvin Bagley not being as good as the hype indicated, or the fact that he was in Sacramento. We can talk about that in a second. Acquiring Sabonis and holding on to Rashawn Holmes this offseason, along with Harrison Barnes, but specifically Rashawn Holmes is the one I want to like point out specifically, seemed like a win-now decision. My question to you guys, and Chris, I'll start with you, if you were the GM of the Sacramento Kings, and I know that's a tough that's a tough task to ask off rip. You can you can give a man as much money as you want, but if you tell him that's the job he has to do it for, one has to ask himself if that's the job worth taking. This is a team that has not played made the playoffs since 2006. 2006. We have a play-in tournament now that lets you get a chance at the playoffs from the 10th spot. My question to you, again, this is a team in 13th place, by the way. My question to you is, do you think it is smart 
to continue pursuing, and this might even be a dumb question, but I think it is worth asking, do you think it is smart to continue pursuing a win-now opportunity, or is it time to cut bait with guys like, and I mean, I'm talking like really cut bait, as in we're targeting guys like De'Aaron Fox as a guy to put on the trade market, putting DeMontis Sabonis right back on the block. Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, who I thought they shouldn't have re-signed and I thought was a guy who the Charlotte Hornets probably should have targeted in the offseason. I'm talking completely starting over from scratch. If you already are in 13th place, you've made win-now moves and haven't seen any kind of forward momentum, but you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 06, right? You're a team that has not seen the postseason in almost two decades, do you continue the course of trying to make the playoffs for the first time, or do you set yourself back even further by restarting but setting yourself up with a completely new uh, pathway? The thing is, like, and listen, when they say money can't buy happiness, they're talking about the Sacramento <laughs> It does not matter what they give me. I will never be happy for that trash-ass franchise. Everything about them is fucking garbage. Honestly, like, it pisses me off because I don't get it. I don't understand how you can be so goddamn shit. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make sense. It's a curse. When you have players in the league saying to other players, yo, stay up, bro, because you still play for that side. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So for me, if I was owning it, obviously, like I would tear the whole shit down. But, but that's what logical, competent people. Yo, people get paid to make decisions over in Sacramento. People actually apply, hand in resumes, do interviews <laughs> to get to make the decisions that they make in Sacramento. Ew. And it, it it doesn't make sense because there's oh so much God. turnover. There's so much turnover, but yet they cannot get out of their way. They draft like garbage. Jimmer for dead. They drafted, I think, did they draft Bismack? I don't know. Who, I don't no, know. No, that was Charlotte. That was Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. Another, another, horrible, uh, another horrible situation that they got saved out of. But honestly, the only they drafted my guy, Williams. I think they dropped him with the second overall pick, center or power forward. I don't know what happened to him. Like, they drafted Sauce Castillo, my guy out of, out of Canada. What, what what's what's his name? Nick Stauskas. Nick Stauskas. Yeah. <laughs> like this is what they they just keep Ben Macklemore. Another. Uh, I'll stand yeah, by I, Ben Macklemore. I'll stand by that. That one, one took a that while to actualize though, and it didn't actualize for them. That's tough right. still. But he he was nice at Kansas though. No I, facts. I, I thought it was a true facts. Listen to me, man. It's and and this is where we have to do a thought experiment. If it's the players or if it's just them. Because, but then, it, you know, Macklemore never hitched on a ride to any other person anyways, anyways. But whatever. What I'm saying to you guys is, when we talk about franchises that have absolutely zero, zero projection, zero, nothing to hope for, nothing at all, like, this is the bottom of the bottom. This is probably one of the worst franchises in sports history. I'm not going to lie to you. No, it definitely like, is. It, it, it's probably one of the worst. When they traded Tyrese Halliburton, cherry on top a delicious cake with the cherry on top you have a player that you lucked into that was like literally the only player that you've drafted in recent history to do anything for you he's young he's cost controlled nobody wants to even visit sacramento 
much less play for you. And you trade the cost-controlled asset that looks as if he has all-star potential for a player that is a free agent after next season. Mm, 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 what mm. the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was going to point that out later. On? I was going to point that out later, but I'm glad you threw it out. Like, what is, go- yeah. what is going on? <laughs> they might have to re-sign this man, too. Like, not only did to you acquire what? him, now, but they I'm might. Now, if I'm Sabonis, right. I'll stay in hell. But it's going to take me probably, I don't even know what his max would be because everybody's Awful max Awful lot of money, tell you that. <laughs> but you're going to have to back up Brings Trucks for me to stay here. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, so realistically, what you're telling me is, it's either you pay Sabonis an uncomfortable amount of money or you let him walk and you gave away Tyrese Halliburton for nothing. For nothing. Bro. That is, this is man. with the notion that you already just paid Rashawn Holmes that you relegated to 13 minutes a game. Had the man so stressed, he went home and started beating on his wife, fam. That's what you <laughs> oh did to him. Oh, my God. Like, no cap. Like, this is documented <laughs> stuff. We never heard anything about domestic violence with Rashawn Holmes before this all happened. They ruined the man. Like, not this is real <laughs> shit right now. Hey, yo. <laughs> It ruined the oh man. Oh my god! I feel it for him, and the man was hella stressed. Yo, he went home. <laughs> Shorty can't even talk to him no more. His youth can't talk to him no more. This is what's going on. Come on, man. Oh, nah, bro. Man. Honestly, the fund the whole franchise, bro. Save everyone. Save everyone. <laughs> Take everyone away. Move them out and fire everybody. They have to force man to sell that team. They need a purging, <laughs> an exorcism. Like I don't know what's happening over there. A full-on exorcism. I'm telling you, man. Bro, you know the funny part is, bro? Like, the funniest part is, like, I know you're not a Kings fan. And the funniest part is, like, I think that's the realest a non-Kings fan has been about the Kings, bro. Like, I think that's the funniest part about it. Because coming from an objective stance, like, the way you came off about it is the way you would hope. And I think I would I I would hope to believe that Kings fans actually feel and have spoken on. Um, I'm not sure because it's hard to get a gauge on Kings climate because it seems like they are as under a rock as as most because of their franchise being kind of in this hamster wheel with no real uh, direction. But, bro, I mean, you're not lying in terms of this being a team that kind of needs to hit mass reset. Robs, I want to get your thoughts on this just because, like, <laughs> I mean, A, there was a whole lot to unpack there. But another thing is just like, again, the reason why the question is even one worth asking is, again, this is a team that has not made the postseason. I'm talking about made the postseason since 06. And don't get me wrong. Again, I know this is only our second season with the playing tournament, but we have a play-in now that allows teams 9 and 10 to play for a chance to still be in the playoffs. And this is a team that finished 13th with a guy in De'Aaron Fox who guys were saying was going to make a all-star caliber leap this season as a team, as a guy who was in that group of players that can make their first all-star team in their career. That was the talks of this guy earlier in the season. And now we're talking about them being 13th, not even sniffing the play-in tournament. And like like Chris said before, and the cherry on top of all of this is the Tyrese Halliburton trade. As if that wasn't supposed, that was supposed to be the leading story. That's supposed to be the leading story. Yet here we are talking about how they have not moved anywhere from last season to this season. 
and they made a trade as blasphemous as that. So your your thoughts from there? No, no just picking back off of what Chris said. Like I, I just looked <laughs> at the record, the thirty and fifty two. They finished worse this season than they did in the in the previous two seasons after they made the trade. So it's just honestly, like God. to sum things up, it's just bad judgment. Nothing good's coming out of Sacramento. Players, coaches. Nothing, nothing good is coming out of that organization. It's actually an embarrassment to basketball, to be honest, because when you turn on a Kings game, it's not even exciting. Like, it doesn't matter who's on the court. There's just a bad, dark cloud over that franchise. I don't know what it is. If I'm the Kings, first of all, I don't even know who's making decisions these days because every day it's a new You're head not coach. lying. You're not this lying. person's now, Vladi's in, he's out, he's this, he's that. You need to start fresh. Strip everybody. Mm-hmm. Start fresh. And just go with it. I don't understand the rationale. And it, this is what bothers me most about the Kings. This is like a lot of times teams will make decisions. And at the very beginning or when they make the decision, it's not very clear. But it usually realizes about 45% of the time. You can kind of get a rationale or understanding of why they did that. Whether it turned out for, for good or worse is a different conversation. But you can understand. I don't understand half the decisions that they make. From my most recent, from the trade they made this year, that tells me that they either value, they think that a combination of Fox and Sabonis is better than Fox and Halliburton. And I don't know on what planet that is. Do they have faith in, in Davian Mitchell? And that's why all of a sudden they feel like they, that guy, that um, Halliburton's expendable. Like, I, I just don't understand the rationale behind these decisions. And until they are able to make minor competent moves, I'm not even talking about making big splash trades. They can't even make competent signings, drafts. They, how do you miss on the second overall pick between Luca and Trey? Like, that's not, that's not a coincidence, man. And it's happened time and time again. It's just, I have no faith in this franchise. Until they can prove to me that they have some level of competency in the organization, they're doomed. And any basketball player that goes there knows to themselves that they're doomed. Darren Fox knows deep down. <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> it's over. Unless he, as long as you're in that organization, it's over. There's nothing good coming out of there. All right, so let me gauge the podcast real quick. I obviously know that we won't have any optimistic points about the Kings. There's no way after Chris's rant that we have anything good to say about this team. So I'm going to gauge the podcast in a funny way, and then we'll find a way to take that and and move on to the next team, uh, talking about Portland. Let me just gauge the pod. If you can move the Sacramento Kings anywhere, where would that be? Rob, I'll start with you. Vegas, simple and plain. Okay. They've been talking about it for years. Vegas should be getting Vegas and Seattle deserve franchises. Um, I know right now they're talking about adding two teams and realigning the conferences, mm-hmm. but right now, Vegas, it's 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 just as close. Actually, let me not say that. It's close enough to LA where you wouldn't really have to worry about interdivision um, flying being that much of an issue. Mm-hmm. It's still relatively close enough. It's not a big market, but it's an active market. There's always people in and out, high tourist area. Money is flowing through Vegas, so you're going to have capital flowing through the franchise one way or another. Mm. We already host Summer League there. Like All signs are pointing towards Vegas. Simple and plain. Okay. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm more so on the Seattle aspect of it. I feel like it's a a tragedy that they don't have a team. Um, They have history, right? And, like, you know, they have great and – great teams and yeah that's now okc i think they just transferred everything over to okc mm-hmm. right that's correct yeah but nah man give give the people of seattle a team if not i would say man get another team back over in vancouver bro like yeah people don't want to be in canada 
I'm not. I'm not but, with you on that one. Nah, nah. Here's what I'm saying. <laughs> Vancouver is a is a major city, though. Like Vancouver is bigger than some of these cities in the states. So yeah. it's not even the fact that we're hearing, oh, Vancouver is a small city. No, it's a hub. So like, for me, it's like it's just a bias about you know Canadian channels and mm. blah 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 right. and all of this nonsense. I, I don't even think it's that. I just think it's 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 like I like to attach cities to a culture. Right, like a per, like a established culture. Like you come to Toronto, we have a culture, right? Like most cities yeah, in America have no, their no, own no, no, no. culture within there. I just don't see Toronto. What's... You can't you can't compare things to Toronto though, because Toronto has more culture than a lot of places. Okay, <laughs> like, but then if Vancouver's failing in comparison, people barely want to fly to Canada for Toronto. Why would they fly to Canada for Vancouver? <laughs> Listen, man, it's not about them. <laughs> 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 it's about the people in Vancouver. Oh man! Okay, so I, I'm gonna throw out the wild card. Um, just as a guy, as somebody who's been in the states, one of the 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 wild cards to me, I think you guys is talking about. You know, Vegas and Seattle is good. I'm gonna throw out Louisville, Kentucky as another one that I think is just an interesting one, and it's just because it's a basketball place. It's a basketball city. They have Louis, uh, the Louisville Cardinals for college, and they obviously being in Kentucky area, they have the Kentucky Wildcats, two of the bigger teams, specifically Kentucky, obviously, in terms of a talent aspect, some of the most highlight real level basketball you're going to watch in that area. They take basketball extremely seriously. And I think the one thing that maybe makes a place like Louisville, Kentucky, or just Kentucky in general, different from a Seattle or a Las Vegas in in this sense, especially for a team like Sacramento, is I think that they, if they are to move, I think they need to move to a place where the fans are as passionate about basketball as the people who play the game for the team. Because I think that's one of the biggest issues with Sacramento when you look at certain things when it comes to attendance rate, when you look at the production on the floor, overall commitment to the game. They are the fourth L.A. team, right? Let's, let's keep it a buck. They're the fourth L.A. team. And L.A. is already a hard market basketball-wise when the Lakers are leading headlines and now the Clippers are on the uptick. But obvious, and, and that's not even counting in Golden State, who obviously has their own hub of the California area on lockdown. Talking about the San Francisco Bay, talking about San Francisco and just the Bay Area in general. So they are the fourth LA team. And that's that's already tough enough competition-wise, just within your own area. And that's not even factoring in the Western Conference, which up until this year was arguably the best overall conference, top to bottom of the two. Right. So I think if you're going to move, and I think Kentucky's a little bit of a dicey one because I that I I I don't think that should impact. The, the Western Conference stance of it too much, but I do think the change in the flight pattern aspect of the traveling and stuff like that, traveling to a, uh, to a place like Kentucky as opposed to Vegas from their original uh, their original fan base uh, being in the California area, obviously that's a big that's going to be a big culture shock, so to speak. But Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky in general is very big on basketball, and I think that if you're going to have a quote unquote culture change. If you're gonna go as far as also moving the team, they need to go somewhere where they where the fans care about basketball just as much as the players who play for the team. Because that's a way that you reestablish a culture is you realize that the fans are invested, are mega invested, and now you have to def- display a product on the floor that matches their energy. And when you don't, that's called underwhelming. That's called underdevelopment, and that's kind of where Sacramento is. They don't have many in that their own area 
that believe in them as a top level team within the Western Conference or even within the top four teams in within the, the four teams in California, let alone they have the ability to then believe in themselves as a legitimate franchise. So that's kind of how I view that one. Again, that's kind of like an under-the-radar one. Robs, I would argue that your Las Vegas one is probably the most logical when you talk about maintaining them within the Western Conference, not affecting their travel circumstances very much if you're going to keep them in the West. And it's still being a hub that can kind of bring some more focus to them as opposed to, again, being the fourth team in L.A. Vegas is its own little developing hub. They already have a WNBA team, so it's not like they haven't explored the idea a little bit in terms of the NBA um, having teams in that area. Sports betting is at the top of its at the peak of its powers at the moment right now, so to speak, mm-hmm. with fantasy basketball as well. So I think that's probably the most likely option. I would just say that Louisville, Kentucky is one that if we're talking about a full-on culture change, the Sacramento Kings might want to think about stepping into a lane where the basketball fans are, are are crazy and very committed to seeing winning winning basketball on the floor. 